0: You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's do this. Welcome to Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. My name is Wes Goldberg. I'm here as always with David Rimmel, and we've got a Monday mailbag for you today, so let's jump right into it. First question comes from Brian Young. Assuming Miami gets a top three pick, is it worth trading for Paul George? I'm not asking this question based on whether or not PG is a good player. I understand he's an all-NBA, all, all-star-slash-borderline-superstar player. However, with the rumors of him really wanting to play for the Lakers, is it worth giving up a ton of assets for a guy that can realistically leave after one year? Couldn't Miami just wait until he opts out in 2018 and make a pitch to him then? This is the question on a lot of... Not just Miami's mind if they were to somehow luck into a top-three pick. This is the question on a lot of teams' minds that may, that have the assets to move for Paul George, right?
1: Yeah, I guess so. I, I don't feel as strongly negative about it as, uh, as other franchises do, just because I think Miami has such a, a good success rate of being able to get guys to re-sign here. If you make the move to acquire somebody, I mean, going as far back as alonzo morning who was a restricted free agent basically when miami acquired him in 95 and was able to sign him long term and obviously he became a a pillar of the franchise same with tim hardaway going all the way back to dwayne wade and, and you know obviously i think probably the one exception would be lebron not re-signing after 2014 but with other than that i think once you come here or come to miami you're you're liable to stay here so maybe making that kind of sacrifice i think Given how Miami has been able to establish itself as such a top team you know with a strong front office and a winning culture and everything else like that, I can't imagine a world where Paul George comes down here and he goes, "You know what? I'd rather go for something probably less effective with a best with a better maybe a, a better history like the the Lakers, but you know, I'm really to sacrifice winning in the short term for the hope that maybe something will happen the next five to ten years before I retire. I, I can't imagine a world where Paul George signs off on, on that, you know, and I would rather leave to LA than stay in Miami.
0: I don't know, man. I'm, I I think I'm I'm on the other side of that than you. I I'm really concerned about Paul George going wanting just to play for the Lakers. This isn't I mean, when when it, it, it's sort of reminiscent of when Goran Dragić forced his way out of Phoenix and he said that he wanted to play for Miami or New York or LA. Sure. Himself. And Miami said, we'll take the chance on you. Your contract expires at the end of the year. We'll trade for you at the deadline. We can convince you that Miami is the spot for you. They did. And they did. And that and he took but, less money. And he took less money to stay here. But I, Paul George doesn't seem to me to be the same kind of guy that Goran Dragic is. He is vain. No, he seems right. to be vain in, in a lot of ways. Um, I think he has given up a lot of what made him special in those matchups versus LeBron James's heat teams. When he, when he was able to play LeBron one-on-one, go toe to toe with him and defend him when he was Kawhi Leonard before Kawhi Leonard, he was the next up and coming two way wing. And I think he gave up some of that Kawhi Leonardness to go to maybe shift more on the Carmelo Anthony side of the spectrum. He's become a volume shooter. He plays defense in the playoffs really well, but not necessarily in the regular season. Um, I, I'm not—I I think Paul George, that, that LA, that call to LA is strong for him. And, and US, USA Today reporter Sam Amick reported that he used the word hellbent on joining the Los Angeles Lakers in a recent article about um, how the Larry Bird leaving that front office position affects Paul George and, and Indiana's future with him. Okay, did That's he say hell-bent? Hell- Uh, Did he say hell-bent as far as leaving Indiana or specifically of joining the Lakers? He said, whether in free agency two summers from now or via trade before then, the four-time All-Star is still hell-bent on joining the Los Angeles Lakers, maybe now more than ever. And that that kind of wording, that scares me. Hmm. And... I think
1: it's a bit of a stretch, but I see why you're concerned.
0: And so... I know, that, I know that the question says, this isn't really a question regarding what, how good he is. I understand he's an all-NBA player. But it kind of is, too. Because there is a risk-reward, right? That's what this whole thing comes down to. What's the risk and what's the reward? And the reward here is Paul George being there long-term. And how good of a reward is that? Is having Paul George on the Heat enough to make Miami a top-two team in the East? I think yes. if Paul George... Yeah, I agree, too. I, I think Dragic, George, and Whiteside... That core is better than the Hawks, or I'm sorry, the Raptors. Obviously better than the Hawks, better than the Raptors. I think they're better than the Wizards, and I think they're better than the Celtics. That's a top two team in the East. Is it enough to beat Cleveland? With all the right breaks, yes. I just think, dude, that hell-bent, hell-bent to go to the Lakers. He seems like he really wants to go there. I don't know I, that I, it's I, worth trading. If the Heat got a th- the third pick in the draft, Yeah. Taking trading that pick and whatever else it's going to take. It's going to take Winslow, Tyler Johnson the third pick at minimum for that deal to happen. I don't know, man. I think I'd I'd I would rather just take the take either Jason Tatum or Jonathan Isaac with the third pick and then and then just try to say like this is the core we have. Sign with us in 2018. We don't to, we don't want to give up any assets. You're going to be better off joining us because I'm not convinced the Lakers could build a good enough team. I Let me rephrase that. I think Miami's chances of of going toe-to-toe with the Lakers in free agency to beat out them for Paul George is as good as retaining him if they traded for him.
1: I'm trying to think back because when, when they made the move for Dragic, there was almost kind of a, a wink-wink, nudge-nudge deal yeah. where he was going to agree to re-sign with the team. And I imagine there would probably be at least an a fair understanding. I can't I can't recall off the top of my head who Paul George's agent is and whether or not he has an established history with Miami, which would probably be a significant factor for the Heat and, and Pat Riley. I, I just I'm also concerned if you're acquiring him, how much do you have to give up? And and the thing that I'm worried about is, you know, these players almost completely if they're willing to leave their teams, we saw this a couple days ago with Kyle Lowry, you know, uh, following the, you know, the Raptors big breakup of which you wrote earlier today, you know, what happens next for them. You know, Kyle wants to move on to a team that's going to give him a championship. I think it's important for him to win a title despite his own failures in the postseason and everything else. He's still looking to acquire a title somehow, some way. I've seen him link to Houston, uh, return to the Rockets as a, a possibility. I'm not sure how likely that is, but it's, it's something to consider. Gordon Hayward has long stressed you know, that if he leaves Utah, it's because he goes to a team that gives him a very good chance of getting a title. I think Paul George is still younger than Kevin Durant was last season, but he's still at that point where he has to realize – his legacy is going to be defined by him winning a championship. That's just the state of fandom and appreciating players nowadays. I don't think it was necessarily the same impact in the 70s and 80s um, as it is today. But you, you look at great players like Carl Malone, Charles Barkley, Patrick Ewing, John Stockton, et cetera, guys like that who were you know, among the top 10, 15 players of all time and couldn't win a ring. And all of a sudden, you start to, you know, it affects how you perceive that legacy, whether or not they even deserve to be among the top fifteen players all time. Um, and I think you understand now that it's it's more important to to get a championship by any means necessary. That's the pressure I think that forced Durant's hand out of o- Oklahoma City. So I think for for George, that's certainly the top factor. As much as he might want to play for uh, for Luke Walton and to go to L.A., I don't think he can afford to sacrifice what's left of his career. And not get a championship. And I think that is something that's probably his primary factor as far as what drives him uh, to push a, a, for a deal or uh, you know move him to, in free agency.
0: I mean, if that's the case, Miami has a good chance. But I don't know. I think that's everything that we're reading says he just wants to join the Lakers. Maybe he's not that concerned with winning the championships, I don't think as so. you and I think. I, if he's hell bent on going to the Lakers, that does not jive with. Being hell bent to win a championship, because you can't be that guy. Can, you can't look at the Lakers right now and say that that's a team that is built to win championships right now, especially yeah, in the I, Western Conference. But it, he's hell bent. Hell bent. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. Look, I, I mean, I don't know, Sammy. Okay, so you don't personally. buy the report, okay?
1: I, I don't. I can't accept that. Like, I, I just don't think that anybody at this point in time, with the current climate of the league and the way people. You dissect the minutiae of every player and, and, you know, rings, the rings, Kobe Bryant argument, et cetera. You know, I just don't think a guy like Paul George could say, you know what, I'm just going to be a different kind of player. I'd rather just be have happy. You,
0: have you seen his Gatorade commercial, the No Overtime Tonight commercial? Sure. If if you've seen that, you already know that Paul George has no intentions of being the best at anything. That might be the worst <laughs> Gatorade commercial I've ever seen. It's well, some heard... of the worst acting I've ever seen.
1: I saw, I saw a tweet somehow that apparently uh, – <laughs> I guess it was in a recent ESPN podcast because it's no longer a true Hoop podcast. But anyway, uh, they talked about how they broke down the commercial almost like the Zagru- the Zapruder film and the <laughs> JFK assassination. And that if you look at it, they actually saw a still shot of, of when he shoots that shot and then turns <laughs> to face the camera. Like the shot has no chance of going – it's actually drifting left of the rim, but of course, you know the the commercial plays out, and he's hit the shot, and obviously no overtime tonight because he's hitting game winners. <laughs> but it was just so funny that yeah, you, know, you just pointed out how bad the commercial is, and that's one more aspect of how
0: bad it is. But I don't know, do we want that guy on our com- on our team? No, do I do not want a I guy? Don't want, no, no, not a guy that that's is that bad. We were we were spoiled with Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade was very good at commercials. Very. Oh,
1: I don't know about the one with a. Uh, like a Yeti eating
0: spaghetti. I don't that know. That one was awesome.
1: Like just because it had
0: George Gervin in it. Wade made the commercial. Gervin just sat on that ice throne thing and said like three words. Well, Wade he's Wade the Ice winning. Man, West. I mean that's what I you underst- do when you I understand it, but <laughs> he didn't do much. To answer I... your previous question about who his agent is, he shares oh. an agent with D'Angelo Russell and Julius Randle for the Lakers. <laughs> oh, and your favorite deal. and your favorite Ron Baker for the New York Knicks.
1: You make one positive comment about Baker, next thing you know, you're you're hearing rumors (laughs) of a tattoo somewhere in my body. Um, I was actually going down the rabbit hole today of LeBron James commercials, and I saw the one that he did in Miami, and that really hurt my heart, just a little bit. The one in the The, bike? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Strive for greatness. God damn
0: it. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Because somebody, oh, Royce Young of ESPN tweeted out a commercial that Russell Westbrook did. And you know, talking about how like he's so intertwined with the Oklahoma City community, and asking kids where they're from in Oklahoma City. He's shooting hoops and stuff like that. Apparently, it's a a Toomey commercial. I guess he's advertising. Or, or, yeah, he's he's doing luggage now. I guess. Anyway, the point being that of course it it shows how Westbrook is is so firmly in place in the Oklahoma City culture. And I was like, yeah, in 2013 they released this commercial, and a year later he was gone. Less than a year later he was gone. I remember seeing that commercial and thinking the good times were going to last forever. I was, like, this is a guy who loves Miami. I
0: was... I've been thinking lately that that group, that LeBron, Dwayne... LeBron is very good in commercials. He, he is, is very, very good in commercials. I thought Wade was very good in commercials. You and I could disagree on that, I guess. But that group was better. That group of superstars was better at commercials than this group of superstars. And I, I, I include Durant, Harden, Westbrook, Curry... Uh Clay Thompson is in like some Got Milk commercials that are just awful. Um, oh god, yeah. He loves chocolate milk, right
1: or something like that?
0: Yeah, he's like I uh, I practice and then I drink chocolate milk. You should too. That's like the commercial. He's, he's stoned, right? He's stoned in that commercial. <laughs> he's stoned as hell. <laughs> and um Curry for being Mr. Nice Guy face of the NBA right now is so bad. And I really I blame Derrick Rose for all of this because he made it acceptable. Uh. To be god awful at commercials and speak in a complete oh, monotone voice, like just one take, I'm out, and that was it. And I think he made it acceptable with those really, really bad Adidas commercials, and oh, now god. everybody does it. Like, Paul George does it in the Gatorade commercials, like no overtime tonight. That's it. And I think I sounded better just now. That's it. When and, and yeah, a little, a little too, uh, too much emotion there, a little yeah. too emotive. Yeah, the, the tonight I, I had too much of an inflection. I just can't help it. They're they're all bad. Durant is very bad, and and that's surprising because he's been, he's good out like on TV and stuff. He's been he, in movies. He's been in movies. He has got a he he's very bad at commercials. I don't know this this new class of athlete. I don't know if it's millennials or what it is, but and I'm a yeah, millennial. So I can say whatever I want, but. They're just really bad at commercials, is my point, and it's very depressing because there's such a good market. What, what's your opinion on Westbrook commercials? Are they is he good or is he bad in them?
1: Uh I think it plays perfectly with the whole idea of, of Westbrook being slightly crazy, which I've seen in person. Like he is slightly crazy. I mean, it, it, it's you know he's he's off the wall. He's eclectic. I, I don't know. Somehow a lot of it comes across as maybe just for show, but I think it's also like there's enough rooted in there in reality to make it seem earnest for me. Mount, Mountain
0: Dew is smart to get on that Westbrook train. That yeah. Was, that was good because they have all the, the crazy like cra- dancey monkey baby commercial things. Oh, my God. Puppy monkey, <laughs> that, monkey baby. Puppy monkey baby. That's per- like Westbrook is their puppy monkey baby. And that's, oh. that's perfect for them. <laughs> He's got a nice expressive, yeah, the puppy monkey baby. He's got like an expressive face, but when he talks, it's not good. These guys, they just they need to go through like acting lessons or something. All right, that that answers that mailbag question. Does Um, it? I don't even know anymore.
1: (laughs) We we may not have actually answered it, but one answer I do have for you is I know exactly where you can go if you want to get the cheapest best tickets available.
0: I think I know what you're going to talk about because we've talked about them a few times on this podcast. Is it SeatGeek?
1: It absolutely is. The SeatGeek app is absolutely the best way for you to find, like I said, the best tickets available. It's so easy. You can just download their app directly onto your phone. It does all the work for you. It searches any venue you want, any type of concert you want, any type of concert game show. If you're looking for tickets to any kind of playoff games in the future or your upcoming concerts, the SeatGeek app is the way to go.
0: That's because they give you the most bang for your buck. Like you said, to take all the work out of it for you. It's like a coloring book. Big green dot means go here. Small red dot means maybe not buy these tickets. Best of all, our listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. How do you do it? Download the SeatGeek app. Go to the Settings tab. Click Add a Promo Code. Then enter the promo code LOHEAT. That's L-O-H-E-A-T. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your very first SeatGeek purchase. So download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code LOHEAT today. I recommend just download it now, even if you don't, the Heat aren't playing right now, but download the app now and put the the promo code in now because you never know when you're going to hear of a concert or something that's around the corner that you're going to want to go to and you just make it quick and easy. It took me five minutes to get concert tickets the other day and I went to go see the concert two weekends ago and it was awesome. So it just makes my life easier. Um, I think we did a much better job on that commercial than any of the athletes do now. Please. Without a doubt, it seemed <laughs> it was off the cuff, and
1: uh, I mean, and and we're or, speaking from the heart. I yeah, wonder how much how passionate. much Mountain Dew does Russell Westbrook actually drink?
0: Probably a lot, but we not as much not as much Mountain Dew as I've used Sea Geek. I've I honestly used Sea like a thousand times. I use it all the time. Um, nice. All right, next question from Jarrell Do you think that he have given up on trying to implement Josh McRoberts as a role player on the current roster?
1: That's I don't think so.
0: You don't, don't think, think so? I don't
1: think they've given up. I think mm. I think they're committed. They can't move him. I mean, I, I guess in an ideal world, they'd like to move him. But if he's healthy, I think Svolstra is going to try to find a way to incorporate him. Well, somehow, what, is, somehow. what does
0: role player mean to you? Because does that mean one of your top eight, nine, or ten guys? Uh, I could see that. Yeah, sure. I mean, oh. sure. I, I mean... I, I think he
1: provides some versatility there. Look, if Willie Reed departs in free agency and you need somebody, you'd ideally like to acquire somebody who can play the center position. But if you can't find somebody in the market or you can't draft somebody either, you still have, if again, assuming he's healthy, Joshua Roberts could come in there. He has the heft. He can do some pretty decent rebounding. He can finish at the rim. If he was only confident enough in his shot, he could score from outside. He provides – uh, 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 a tool set uh, I think that is available, a skill set that is av- available to like the best of centers. Like, you know, let's say he's a very, very, very poor man's, you know, Carl Anthony and that he can space the floor. He can even pass better. Maybe he's like a, a really bad Nikola Jokic or something like that, you know, in the way that he can, he, he's a very nifty passer. And I think these are things that we've forgotten in the three terrible seasons that he's been here, injury plague seasons. But I think if you can find a pace for him, a space for him because he's healthy, You'll do it, and I think that's where Swisher and the team is.
0: Yeah, I, I you don't see it, huh? I think they've, I think they've given up as far as trying to recapture the Josh McRoberts that they hoped they would get when they originally signed him. Of course, yeah. and I could see them using McRoberts in a limited role and a limited capacity, just like as you're saying, as maybe a small ball five against certain matchups. But I don't think they're going to count on it. Even if Willie Reed leaves, I think they're going to try to replace him in free agency. McRoberts might be your third or fourth center. Um, he might be your third or fourth power forward. I think that anything McRoberts provides this next year is going to be gravy. It's going to be on top of whatever this, however this team is already built. Maybe a break in case of emergency type player. But I think they've given up on the idea of this guy is going to be a starter or a, a key reserve for us. And I don't, I don't think that they, you, I think they figured out you can't rely on his health. It's just at this point, he's just not a durable player. The if healthy thing, it's just not going to happen because he's not healthy. He's just not a healthy player. He's, he's broken down and it's unfortunate because I'm with you. I thought there was a great signing when they made it. I don't, I don't think McRoberts or the Heat deserve the attacks they get for um, signing McRoberts in the first place. Right It was a smart signing that made a lot of sense, and I love the idea that of having Bosch at Center Mick Roberts at Power forward and having just two guys, two big men who can pass at an elite level for their positions and and move the ball and, and do a lot of, and shoot from the perimeter, that was smart. And I just don't think they're going to be able to find that now with Mick Roberts. so if, if he can provide anything, it's just, all right, we're lucky for a few games. Let's let's take advantage of this while we can. But I don't think in any sense that they are going to build this team with even Mick Roberts in mind. It's just going to be, this is what, if, if he could give us something, that would be great, but we're not counting on it.
1: I, I, I don't know. I, I think the he hasn't done anything to fall out of their favor. And I think, you know, whenever he's been out there, he's done the best he possibly can. It's just, like you pointed out, you know, very infrequent and, and you can't really rely on him. But assuming he's i'm trying to think now giving
0: up's a strong word right it is it is i don't think they're not going to ignore him right they're not going to just like send him to the pound or something like they're just they're going to work with him. they're going to try to get him healthy their trainers will work with him. but i just as far as roster construction i don't think he really is i don't think he figures prominently in the plans they're not going to be like well we we don't need to sign this pass happy forward because we have a pass happy forward
1: well, yeah, but he also ties up what you can do. They're not going to waive him. That's right? true. I don't think they, they're, they're yeah, not going to stretch, gonna
0: stretch him. him. No, and they right. can't. And they've been trying to trade him for two years. It's just not going to happen.
1: Right. So you're you're kind of stuck with having him on the roster. So yeah. the best thing you can do is try to find a way to build around him. So maybe flip the question a little bit and say, what's the best option for him? Let's say if he is healthy, how does he fit with the lineup as it's currently constructed or as it as it kind of blossomed? during the second half of last season. Would he, Would he? does he take into Justice Winslow's minutes? Does he cut into James Johnson's minutes? Does he allow James Johnson to start? And then basically you can just free yourself of Luke Babbitt because it's, again, assuming he's healthy, he could be James Johnson's backup and then provide some kind of you know, added versatility there. Maybe you keep Johnson in at the four spot, put a McRoberts in at the five uh, and then switch off vice versa. I mean, there's, there's versatility there that you could, you know, explore again, with a huge caveat if he's healthy.
0: Maybe like how the Spurs use David Lee, but at a more limited basis. Like sometimes he plays the four, sometimes he plays a small ball five. Somebody who can pass, he'll make a shot when he's near the hoop. That's about it. And But he's smart, he'll make a smart basketball play, he'll defend at an average level, and that'll be it. Um, I, I think maybe being, the best option for McRoberts, maybe third, the third center on the depth chart, you know, either behind Willie Reed or whoever the Heat get to replace Willie Reed. And obviously Whiteside as a starter. And then Mick Roberts over, you know, Udonis Haslam, who's your victory cigar player. And yeah. and that's that's probably the best spot for him. And then he plays five minutes a game or something against key matchups or something like that. I don't know. So the, do you think that fits Durrell's definition of a role player then? I... I don't know. I don't know what Jarrell's definition of role player is, but I think, that, I think he's just an uh, infrequent reserve, is how I would define that. All right. Yeah, mostly racking up Ds.
1: So speaking of Luke Babbitt, a question comes to us from JB, who asks, What do you think of Justin Jackson at the 14th pick in terms of fit next to Whiteside as an upgrade to Babbitt?
0: I don't know if I've talked about this on the show, but I've definitely texted you, I think, that I love Justin Jackson. You have mentioned it, yeah. I think I Justin Jackson is the North Carolina forward. He he's a junior, I think, so he's a little older for rookies. But we know that the Heat don't really mind that, um, or almost even prefer it in some cases. I'm a big fan of Justin Jackson. He gets a lot of he got a lot of attention. He's risen up draft boards this year because of his shooting, and his shooting is is smooth. He's a, he's a strong outside shooter. He can hit the mid range shot. He finishes well at the rim. But what I, and he's got great length. What I like about him, though, a lot that kind of sets him apart for me, he's a really good passer, too. He's a really underrated passer. He's got good vision. And, I've, and I watched a lot of North Carolina in the tournament, and I was blown away by how he's able to move the ball in that offense. I think he'd be a really good fit for Miami. He provides length on the perimeter, which Miami sorely needs, right? And some strong shooting, which is important for this roster, the way it's currently constructed. And I'll keep the ball moving. I like Justin Jackson a lot. If he's there at 14, I would be really happy with that pick. Okay.
1: Yeah, I I think he has some potential. um, And I could see why his versatility and his range make him seem appealing. He is 22. I don't think that's that big a consideration. Like you said, for Miami, they they don't mind an older player. And he's still young enough where he can still continue to grow and blossom and, and reach a higher level at the NBA. Um, my issue then is to JB's question, is he a better fit along the white side? Would you start Justin Jackson right now at the power forward position?
0: No, but I would start Winslow there. I, I like I, I think that he's still he's too skinny and I don't know how big is I don't know.
1: Well I think I, most people are assuming that Winslow's gonna start at small forward and that the Rodney Magruder era was over before it really began.
0: And I agree with that. I think I've I've said before I think Magruder is a two guard in and that would be better for him and the Heat just because of his size. I think he'd be a really nice three and D two guard. Yeah, and that's just that's a that's a good position for him. I I tend to I still think that Winslow's best use is going to be a, a stretch four position. He's he's got good length. He's that he's got a six eleven wingspan. I think that works. He's not. I don't think he's as tall as Babbitt is. Just you know, he's without up. shoes. But his, I think his wingspan is as, as taller, if not taller than Babbitt's, and he's a better defender, and he's much stronger than Babbitt. I, I like Winslow at the four, especially if you have a guy like Jackson at the three. That's the fit that I like. I don't think Justin Jackson could play the four in the NBA. He's too slight. I don't know that he's got a frame to build a whole lot more muscle. He's just gonna be, he's gonna be a long, two guard. He's kind of got a similar body to like Nick Batum. Would you play Batum at the four? Not. You don't want to, right? Like, he's better as a 2-3 than a 3-4. Uh, I think
1: he's a lot narrower than Batum is, actually. Like, I mean, I can see where you're going with that. I maybe mean, maybe there have been yeah, some player confidence
0: Yeah, I think Batum is bigger than him,
1: yeah. And he was younger when he was drafted by Portland, too. So, I mean, this is what Batum looked like at 18 coming out of France, you know, not, uh, not at 22 and being in the college system for three years. Like, the, the fact that this kid hasn't put on any weight... Might be a concern to be honest with you. I'm not sure if it's just he's not comfortable with it or if maybe UNC's coaching staff didn't really feel the need to add any kind of muscle to him. But I mean, he's gonna have issues. He's not quite a Brandon Ingram, but he's not far above that. I mean, what do they list him at? 6'7, Six, 6'8, Six, Six,
0: 193. That's that's not that's good. Real. He can't play the four, and I don't, and that's okay. I wouldn't want him to play the four I'd, again. I'd want him to play. I want him to play small forward and just stretch the floor. I mean, he's got a really nice shooting stroke, and he could pass the ball at a high level, and he could put the ball on the ground. But he's not—he's not—he's not an upgrade over Babbitt because at least Babbitt's Babbitt's got like thirty pounds on him, you know? Yeah, and pounds. Babbitt's
1: not exactly huge either,
0: right? So I, I like—I said I like—I would be happy with Justin Jackson at fourteen if that's where Miami ends up picking. Um, but I wouldn't move him at, I wouldn't play him at the four. I'd play him at the three. And I'd play Justice Winslow at the four. And I like that lineup. That's an that's a four out unit with Whiteside in the middle. That's that, that is very strong. Assuming that we don't sign James Johnson up. I would still bring James Johnson off the bench in that case.
1: Ooh, interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah, because I, I like the ability of James Johnson to play the four and the five. But even if you wanted to I don't know, even if you wanted to start Winslow at or bring Winslow off the bench and start James Johnson at the four, it's the same it's the
1: same principle yeah and then Magruder would come in there provide a little wing defense as well I mean it would be a pretty good de- defensive unit I think you yeah know, I think Jackson has, Johnson
0: yeah and I think Jackson would be a, is a good defender just not not in the front court just keep him on the perimeter he's got nice long arms so he can get in passing lanes he gets steals he could he could take a ball down and transition like that's that's a good player for them to have
1: um yeah but wouldn't okay how about this between Justin Jackson and OG Anunoby? Right? or none I can't remember and whatever. itd yeah, something like that uh, between one of those two I think obviously OG is the better defender right and he has yes. more heft to him he's stronger he's probably longer I think probably yeah. more equipped to handle the kind of strength and versatility I think like you pointed out to me via text there is a, a piece from Jonathan Yarks over at the at the ringer uh, regarding him being a potential center in, in today's league and small ball lineups and things of that sort.
0: Yeah, if it was between those two, assuming... I don't know, man, because it's just... I think Winslow could do a lot of things... Yeah, I think Winslow could do a lot of the things Anunaboy can do, and I like Jackson's just natural scoring, because that's the big problem with Anunaboy, is can he score at an NBA level? I like him a lot as a prospect in a vacuum, but Jackson's fit might be better for Miami. I'm not... I can can see that. Yeah, and I don't know how much that should be taken into consideration if you're picking if you're if you're using your only first round pick in the foreseeable future, do you just take the best player available and hope you land a stud, or do you take a player for fit? I don't know the answer to that. It's that's up to Miami, but um I like Jackson, but there might be players like Anunaboy or even Gonzaga Zach Collins. Um there might be other players on the board that I prefer more, but I like Justin Jackson. Hmm. Um, all right, next question comes from M. M. Those are initials, I think. Hypothetical trade. We love those on here. Uh, would you do Zach Levine, Nikola Pekovic, and the number six pick from Minnesota for Tyler Johnson, Josh Richardson, and Josh McRoberts and our number 14 pick? And do you think this would be enticing to Minnesota? So... I actually I floated this idea out to um, our thread that we have on the step back the yeah. the uh, NBA's fans or fan side is NBA Vertical that you and I both write for. Um, it's represented
1: by writers from across the country, not just covering any one team. So right. it's a much more diverse perspective on the league in general. Guys from Portland, guys from California, guys that cover Cleveland, et cetera. So there's, that's the there's, cover there's,
0: Minnesota. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Exactly.
0: So I I thought this was a good opportunity to float it out there and say, hey, what do you guys think? And we got a few answers back, and there were some interesting things that I thought, my my whole thing with this is, I don't know what Minnesota, how Minnesota views Zach Levine, or how Minnesota fans even view Zach Levine. Is he somebody that they view as a key part of that core with Wiggins and Towns?
1: Yes and no, from what I've heard.
0: Same. Um, but from our email, from, from the answers we got back on that email thread, it does sound like this trade doesn't quite work for a couple of reasons, mainly because Pekovic is actually the, the, the Timberwolves are actually expected to use the same medical right. exception that the Heaters are going to use on Chris Bosh on Nikola Pekovic to get rid of that salary. We've known that that Pekovic salary has been a bad one for the last couple of years for Minnesota, and that it's one that they've tried to trade, not unlike what the Heat have been trying to do with the McRoberts salary. But to right. the, the, the McRoberts salary is only a fraction of Pekovic's salary. But Pekovic hasn't played in over a year, and they're expected to use that same medical exception and get his contract off the books. So that's no longer an issue for them, it would seem. So now it becomes Zach Levine and the sixth pick in the draft, which is they're currently slotted in before, of course, the lottery has happened. For Tyler Johnson, Richardson, and McRoberts, and I guess we would get rid of McRoberts at that point because you don't need the salary matching purpose of him. So it would really be Levine and the sixth pick for Tyler, Josh, Richardson, and the 14th pick. What do you think about that,
1: Levine in the sixth pick for Johnson, Josh Richardson, and fourteen? I think, I think they do it. You think Primarily, Minnesota would do it? I think they would. I think Minnesota would do it. I'm not. I don't think it's a good deal for Miami. And I like Levine as a player with potential upside, particularly as a scorer. But the injury is a concern because what so much of his. So much of his strength is based on his athletic prowess, you wonder how much of that's going to be impacted long term by this injury. You right, assume ACL, that it's
0: ACL yeah. injury, yeah.
1: You assume he's gonna bounce back fairly quickly, being that he's so young and everything else, but so much of his explosiveness is based on on, on being at full health, you know, his hops, et cetera you wonder whether or not that's going to tie into his injury a little bit, whether or not it will impact it negatively. Um, from from Minnesota's perspective and Tom Thibodeau, who, who basically makes the basketball decisions for the team, you get a guy like Tyler Johnson, who is probably not as athletic as Levine, but, you know, a, a pretty competitive athlete in his own way. It uh, can space the floor not as well as Levine either, but he does some good things. He handles the ball better than Levine, I think. Um, Josh Richardson is a guy probably not unlike... The one they were, you know, Chris Dunn, uh, you know, somebody they already have on their roster, but I think he's a much better offensive player, which is saying something. So uh, he's a good defender. He plays a number of positions. So I think for a team that that has so many questions defensively and so many gaps to fill from their bench, this is probably a really, really good move. And not only that, but then you can get a pick in between 6 and 14, probably not much of a difference there, probably another project, maybe a guy like Anunabi or somebody else or Justin Jackson, a guy who can space the floor a little bit. I think Minnesota would do it now. From Miami's perspective, I well, think can you're I comment on the Minnesota
0: piece first? Do it, please. So, I that that two for one swap. I don't know that Zach Levine is much better than Tyler Johnson or Josh Richardson at this point.
1: No, absolutely. And, I mean, you, you see what he does. He, yeah. he shoots pretty well at a very high level. Yep. If he gets to the rim, he can finish strongly because he's a hell of a dunker. But he's not necessarily aggressive in going to the rim. They kind of use him primarily as a perimeter shooter, and he's a little limited. He's not much of a playmaker. He doesn't create shots for anybody else. He's not a very good defender. I mean, there's potential there because he's young and athletic, but it hasn't translated just yet. So you wonder how much longer you can afford to say, well,
0: let's give him a year or two and see if he pans out. One message that we did get on that email thread was that he's a fan favorite. Yeah. Timberwolves fans love Zach Levine because of all the dunking. And just, you know, he came in at the same time as Wiggins and Towns. Like, he's kind of in that young group with them. And it might be tough to sell to the fans because not only are you moving down in the draft, but you're getting unsexy players like Tyler Johnson and Josh Richardson in return. That's and your point. even though I think that two-for-one swap is beneficial for Minnesota... Because you're adding depth, you're getting a nice starter I mean I think you know you could get Tyler Johnson to maybe eventually replace uh, uh, Rubio if Chris Dunn doesn't work out over there Josh Richardson could step in as a three and D two guard that could space the floor maybe not as well right now as Levine, but potentially um, yeah, wouldn't that mean? Like that would be defense?
1: That wouldn't be much of a downgrade, right? If you, no. you're losing Levine, he's probably going to miss the start of the season as he recovers anyway. You get Richardson. I, He'd start at your two guard for you. He'd play I, just don't, know, I just don't know
0: how much of a move forward that is for Minnesota. If you're the Timberwolves and you had aspirations of making the playoffs this year, this move doesn't put you over the top and get you in the playoffs in the West. And you're So you're kind of running in place and you're moving down in the draft. You're losing a top six pick and you're moving down to the very end of the lottery. I think it's a hard sell, and I don't think it's worth it if you're Minnesota. It's just not a move to me that moves the needle. Like, if this were Cleveland, and they had Zach Levine, and you can and they could do a two-for-one swap to add some depth, that would make more sense to me. A team that just maybe needs a little bit more depth that's already on the precipice, or among the elite teams in the NBA. For Minnesota, this doesn't move the needle enough for them. For the Heat, I'm looking at that number six pick. I'm okay with moving Tyler johnson richardson And getting a a comparable guard in return, even with those injury issues, I don't think I'm not as afraid as Levine's injury issues as I am with. I mean, it's not like Tyler Johnson and Josh Richardson are man of steel either. You know what I mean? (laughs) So, I I would be okay doing that two for one swap, um, provided that maybe they bring back Waiters and and Wayne Ellington. But moving up from 14 to six would be huge. I mean, that's what you lose when you don't tank the season is that high pick. We're talking about the difference between. Um, a, a Lowry Markkinen or a Malik Monk or Jonathan Isaac versus the players that we were just talking about, who are good but but have substantial defined flaws. Justin Jackson, Zogia Nuna um Zach Collins, Terrence Ferguson, guys like that, who will be nice players and and probably and, and could pan out pretty well, but they don't have the upside that those other guys do. I mean, if you could, if you can leap from fourteen to six. I mean, would you do it? Would you do, um, for example, Justin Jackson, Tyler Johnson, Josh Richardson, for Zach Levine and Jonathan Isaac? I mean, I would no. do that trade. You wouldn't? I would not. Okay. I would not. I wouldn't. I, I'm, you know, I'm or Larry
1: early, I guess. Like, a, a, I, I just don't have a lot of faith in the draft.
0: You yeah. know, and and
1: as these players spend less and less time in college, I don't think there's an accurate sample. And I think we're starting to see in the playoffs that you can get very, 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 very good value in the later rounds. Or the later part of the first round or even the second round and i think that's gonna i think that's gonna be what you see more and more over the next few years like look i mean think about how a first pick or a top 10 pick plays out they almost have to be playing much you know as they come out of their as rookies or sophomores or whatever i think they have to play a lot because the team is invested so much in getting them to play at a high level and so that's kind of what I I think this I don't know. I don't have the words to explain it. I think their arc for growth is is sped up as a result because they play more because they're top picks and because you want to show them off as top picks. But I don't think that they're necessarily better than a lot of guys that you could probably get at 15, 20, 25, et cetera, especially nowadays when they're. I mean, what's the difference between a guy who spent one year at UNC and that's what makes them a top 10 pick for the most part or one guy that spent a year in, you know, Gonzaga State or, you know, you know what I'm saying? A small school somewhere else. You know, I don't even think there is a Gonzaga State. But (laughs) uh, but you know what I'm saying, though, like some small school that you've never heard of, you know, he spent one year there. Is he really playing that much tougher competition? I mean, UNC plays some patsies. And during that one season that he's there, I don't know. I'm just I I personally don't see a lot. If I see maybe this Jonathan Isaac guy, if he tears up the league as a rookie, that doesn't seem very likely. But I mean, I I would maybe change my perspective a little bit. I just don't think any of these guys that are going to come in are going to have a major impact. Look at look at the guy who we think is probably going to be the rookie of the year this season. Who who do you think is going to be the rookie of the year? I think you and I have talked about this before.
0: This upcoming season or this past yeah, season? Yeah, for this that... past season, the, the season that just passed. Oh, uh, the kid from Milwaukee. Yeah, Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah. Late-round
1: pick. What was the difference for him? Shit. He he went in there and he played. He started a lot of games, made Matthew Del Vadova basically expendable, helped guide the team into playoff contention. I mean, he, he played there when there were games that actually counted and meant something. Not Dario Saric, who was basically just kind of holding the fort and doing nothing while Philadelphia was kind of coasting aimlessly for the rest of the season, you know, I, I think that's that shows that this there, you can get a, a player, like Brogdon, who wasn't very heralded, was a four year player, didn't nobody expected much out of him. Yeah, and all but this of a sudden rookie class sucked.
0: This rookie class sucked. Like fair enough. But the, uh, but, again, but how I do, do we, I think this trade happens if maybe Pat Riley hones in. This, this is the type of trade that would be. It would be this sort of scenario where Pat Riley falls in love with somebody that's going to be available at six, and he's like. I can move up, do this, do this swap, and I can move up in the draft and get this guy that I fell in love with. But I don't think they just—I don't think they do it just to get the sixth pick compared to the fourteenth pick. So I agree with you. I agree with you in that sense. But if Riley just falls in love with Isaac or Malik Monk or something like that, and he's like, "I got to move up to get this guy," and this is the kind of package he'll take, and I could still get a, a, a quality player back in return, then I think the deal makes sense. But um, we spent enough time on that. Uh, <laughs> Hypotheticals, we love them. We do love them here. All right, speaking of hypotheticals, our next question from Jarrell. I think this is Jarrell's second question. Good yeah, job, Jarrell. He's on it. Yeah. Um, I was listening to the Lockdown Raptors podcast. Hey, shout out to Lockdown Raptors. Good for you. Uh, Sean Woodley. What's yes, up? good guy. And they were talking about the possibility of blowing up the team, the Raptors. Yeah. Do you think the Heat have the assets that interest the Raptors enough to trade for a player like Demario Carroll or Patrick Patterson? Do you think any of the potential trade acquisitions could have a breakout year for the Heat? And just right off the top, we should mention Patrick Patterson is an unrestricted free agent, um, so the Heat wouldn't have to trade for Patrick Patterson. Yeah, Damari De- Carroll is under contract, and I just kind of want to—I want to expand this ro- this question to the entire Raptors roster because who knows what the kind of moves they're going to make? They, there's been a sure. lot of pieces coming out coming out today about what's next for Toronto. I think Zach Lowe wrote for ESPN that, I mean, even up to DeMar DeRozan, I mean, anybody could be moved this summer for Toronto. So do the Heat have any assets? Are there any guys that you're looking... If if the Raptors kind of just put every, every put all their chips on the table and say everybody's available, is there a guy that you're hoping maybe Miami hones in on? There's only one player on that ro- roster. Can I guess? But, sure. Who you're going to say? Sure. Is, go it, is it Norman Powell?
1: Freaking I mean, that that is the one guy. I mean, look, I've talked to him a couple times. Not only is he a really great dude, he's got a little chip on there. He's a guy that Miami probably would love, a four-year player. He can do a lot. Like He's been stuck in Dwayne Casey's system and rotation for the two years that he's been in there. But we've seen him break out in the playoffs, and I think he's he's got that potential to be a great, great, great player. Um, I don't know what it would take to pry him loose of, of the Raptors roster, though. I don't think they're going to blow him up. They might have to include him for somebody to take a guy like Valenciunas off off their hands, but uh, other than that, I mean, the team is such, in such flux. The only guy they really got signed long term is is DeRozan. Lowry's a free agent. Patterson's a free agent. Ibaka's a free agent. I mean, they've got some young players there, and and, and Pascal Siakam, uh, you know, again is on there for I guess another season or two, right? Um, who else do they have on there? Bruno Caboclo? Yeah, I just. They don't have much. Uh, or the Jacob portal right? DeLon the guy Wright, just they've got. Oh, Delon Wright. He's another guy that they like there, but uh,
0: but they're like I they're mean, young, unproven players that they like, like like Wright, um, uh, Purtle, Like these are guys that they have that they like, but don't have much value. It's just guys that I, they've picked recently that they like.
1: I think when you're talking about blowing up, it's not the same thing as like the Clippers that who I think would have to actively move players like Chris Paul. It's basically just saying, oh, and Chris Paul is an unrestricted yeah. free agent, too. It's, it's basically like saying we're not going to bother signing Kyle. I mean, Kyle, we thank or you for the spot, years. Man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you for your contributions here. Uh, we're going to move in a different direction. You always choke in the playoffs, or you're always hind- injured at some point late in the season. We want to move in a different direction. We've got Damar here. We're going to keep him as our mid-range guy.
0: Yeah, and I think when it comes to Damari Carroll, just because we were asked, I think th- no. I think the Raptors would move any. I think they would take the Roberts contract for Carroll. Like I'm Ugh. being dead serious because Carroll. Or would you want Carroll on this no, team considering what he's making? I mean, no. he's, he's, he's been a 14 mess. Fourteen and a half to fifteen and a half million in the next couple of years. He can't stay on the court, and when he does, he doesn't look healthy. Even when he is on the court, I mean, this is this is their Josh McRoberts signing times two. You know, yeah. just in Ross, like, more, more.
1: Yeah, there more. is much more hope placed yeah. in in Demar Carroll yeah, he's than he's we ever had in McRoberts.
0: More, more than twice as much money as McRoberts, even. Absolutely. So it, it, I wouldn't touch McRoberts. I, I mean, I wouldn't touch. I wouldn't even touch Demar Carroll. I mean, if any team can offer literally anything for Carroll, and the Raptors right. would probably take it, sure. um, short of. No, Carroll might be the worst contract in the NBA right now. Um, I don't. Right. You can't touch Valanciunas, especially if you're the Heat. You don't need a player like that. Sure. Um, the only guy but, that actually like moves the needle for me. I'm agree. I agree with you with Norman Powell, but it would take too much to get him, and it doesn't make a difference for Miami. I mean, we've got guys like Winslow and and Josh Richardson and Tyler Johnson. Like we've got those type of guys already. As I like Powell. Yeah. It's just okay, like, how about what, You'd have to trade one of those guys to get Powell, and then that's what, that's a lot. What about
1: move. the perspective of like you just pointed out? To get Valanciunas would take something. What if you had to move? What if you shift them Whiteside in order to get Valanciunas and Powell? Uh, assuming you can't re-sign. Du- uh, 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 sorry, uh, Deion uh, Deion Waiters. No, I wouldn't do it. You wouldn't do it, right? No. Okay.
0: Valanciunas is just not good.
1: Like, He's are you, he just
0: You're paying fifteen million dollars a year to uh, a. Excuse my pun here, but a dinosaur. Like, he just doesn't work in today's NBA. He's a big center who can't who who can't play defense. Who's best? Who in is not a great passer. He's better than Whiteside, but not great. And his best attribute is rebounding, which is an outdated skill. Like, it's just not as important as we've seen in these playoffs. I don't want Valanchunas. and uh, like I said, I like Powell as a player a lot. I just you'd have to trade a comparable player to get him. So it's a lateral move. So I, I that's right. like if if they're gonna trade Powell, I hope he goes somewhere and does great things. I'm I, like you, I'm a big fan of his. It just doesn't make sense for Miami. And the only guy that even moves the needle a little bit for me is Demar Derozan, and he's just again he's an inefficient mid range shooter. He goes his playoffs read like eight points on four of twenty eight shooting, thirty points on seventeen of twenty eight shooting, like. And that's his box score every two games. It's just eight points, twenty-eight points. He's just so inconsistent. Um, and maybe if you could steal him for something, like if you're able yeah. to trade the 14th pick in the draft and Winslow for Demar Derozan, maybe you start thinking about it. I wouldn't even do that trade to be honest. Not at he's too point. high usage. Yeah, I mean too, too high usage and, being, yeah. and that and like the what he's being paid. He's getting yeah. paid a max contract right now.
1: He that's your all star.
0: That's he, your, has yeah. he has talked
1: about it. He has talked about on a number of occasions that it's his favorite city to play in. But uh, that's great. We don't want you here.
0: It's the opportunity cost is too high because if you sign, if you bring him on board, that's your all star and you build your team around him. And you can't, you can't win a title with DeMar DeRozan. You just can't. So I don't like the opportunity cost, and uh, I just, I don't want anybody on the Raptors right now.
1: Yeah, I mean Patrick Patterson's a fine fit if he's a guy that you can build and and kind of get to take it to another level, uh, the way we saw with James Johnson. Uh, I I mean I would but he's I like the, the, the idea agent, they could just sign
0: him. exactly
1: exactly. <laughs> exactly same thing with Ibaka if you if you get him you know as an upgrade at the four you know you I have, have to be I worried of or, yeah, I, I know I know I neither do I but I'm just saying I mean there are pieces there that you can look at look Ibaka had some fine games during the playoffs um, I just think he's going to cost way too much money they're talking about twenty million dollars a year for a guy of declining skills who doesn't provide the same kind of interior defense he once did it's in as Oklahoma. bad as it, a
0: passer as Whiteside.
1: Oh, he doesn't. I mean, he doesn't pass and he doesn't
0: like create he, shots he, at all. Like, at at first glance, it looks like a good fit along the side wide side. you're like, oh, a versatile four who could play some five, and he could, he's, a, he's yeah. a knockdown or he's a good three point shooter for his position. He's, guys don't defend him at the three point line as we saw in these playoffs. He can't pass the ball, so now you have a four and a five who are just gonna, who are just black holes offensively, and you have to give the ball to. This is why the Thunder got rid of Ibaka in the first place is because. They just felt like we can't keep giving you the ball, and when you don't yep. have the ball, you don't do anything else, because we ask you to space the floor, which you barely do, and when you're doing that, you can't rebound, and he's not as good as a defender as he used to be. I mean, it was I think he had, he's had one, he had one really good season as a defender, and that was the year they went to the finals. Yeah. But after that, he's not been good. He's been average to below average defensively.
1: A lot of reputation, I think, is is yeah. basically how people perceive him. You yeah, know. So.
0: Um. Yeah, we don't want anybody. I think the. I like Jakapertel. <laughs> if you're gonna just you think he has it, some potential, yeah, I think he is a nice like you know average center. Like if the Heat need to, if the Heat can yank him away from Toronto and replace it, Willie Reed with him, that's not bad. But it would probably take too many assets to get get him. He's, he was picked ninth overall last year.
1: What are, uh, I mean? I guess him it's... him
0: away, and that's that. Hardly moves that they're not going to trade Portal. Like he's nothing on the contract on the salary cap for them. Would you
1: trade Tyler Johnson for Norm Powell No. if you could?
0: No. no I' so mean what I, would, I mean I guess I would but Toronto wouldn't do it like it's they would not do that I don't think it doesn't make sense for them yeah it will be interesting to see what happens with Toronto do you think they should blow it up no'm I'm, I'm opposed to that sort of thing I think they should keep it together I actually wrote about this for fan rag uh this morning and yeah it's just I think you got you got to like play out the Damari Carroll contract, try to trade Valanchunas, let Ibaka walk, re-sign Lowry, and then just try to get some. Ver- and you just get surround Lowry and DeRozan with shooters. Just get as many shooters this offseason as you can. That's like It's that's-
1: it's realistically been what two seasons of them being pretty good. I mean, it's, it's a little soon to be throwing in the towel. They made some really positive changes. I mean, two seasons ago. They were a team that couldn't get out of the first round. Now they were potentially Eastern Conference finalists. I mean,
0: I the championship the hard thing shouldn't be that they that they play. They made it to the conference finals last year, which was a big win for them. But then they basically built on that roster by trading for Serge Ibaka, trading for PJ Tucker. Specifically, made those moves with a rematch with Cleveland in mind, and then got swept by Cleveland in the playoffs. Like they just they made two major moves at the deadline, and yeah did not bridge the gap whatsoever it's just so clear how far away they are and I think that's the problem
1: yeah, yeah I can understand
0: but if you're Toronto right like this, you're, you're winning playoff games for the first time in forever like this is brand new for you yeah I, you and I have talked about like the heat just taking like hey let's like let's just put the championship aspirations on the shelf for a second and can we just go win 50 games because that would be fun I think Toronto is they're doing that for the last couple of years. They've won fifty games and they're like, all right, now how do we bridge the gap? And that's that's fair, you know, when you're when you're DeRozan and Lowry are in the in their primes. I I I guess that's really the only thing you can do. But at the same time, it's like just go win fifty plus games, have fun.
1: Yeah. I mean if you like the friendship and partnership of Lowry and DeRozan, why not keep it going for a little while longer? I mean, I don't wanna pay if I was Toronto, I, I wouldn't wanna Overpay for Lowry, yeah. it seems like that's liable to happen, but uh, you know, you take a chance sometimes.
0: Interesting Mark Stein report that they had with uh, Mark Stein reporting that Lowry is viewing eyeing a move to the Western Conference. I mean, yeah, Houston in particular, right? Houston, San Antonio might be. Can you imagine? Oh, with Tony that? Parker, yeah, I mean, that, that would be awesome. So, all right, well, that's all we have for today. Whether you're listening. On iTunes, Google Play or Stitcher, thank you for listening. Thanks to our sponsor SeatGeek, the friendliest and smartest way to buy and sell tickets, use the promo code LO Heat to get twenty dollars after your first SeatGeek purchase. Get in touch with the show on Twitter at LockedOnHeat or by email, where you can send us mailbag questions, comments, fan art, sponsorship opportunities, that's Lockedonheat at gmail.com. If you aren't subscribed already, please do so to get the podcast automatically every day. Then go to iTunes, rate us, review us, say nice things about us. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for joining me, David. You got it, what? I don't know why I like pause there towards the end. <laughs> Across America, BP supports more than two hundred seventy-five thousand jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms, and